Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns. We are going to talk about, we're going to focus on a long portion of this podcast with our guest, Nick Olson, talking about the Browns and Vikings and how the Vikings stack up, giving a great preview of what's to come from the Vikings. But before we get to that interview, going to talk about today's Browns news, which the biggest is that Greg Newsom has already been rolled out. Not put on the IR, so they clearly don't believe he's going to miss three weeks they think there's a chance he comes back in that window so he'll still eat a roster spot but they didn't want to automatically dq him for three weeks with the with the ir designation but the calf is obviously serious enough that they decided to rule him out here early in the week and give those quality reps that we're going to go to greedy but you want greedy knowing that he's going to play and greedy williams will start he will play a lot of snaps AJ Green will be next man up if they if they need another outside corner. I would imagine MJ Stewart will be prepared to help out where he can help out. And you go. They signed a guy who's Herb Miller to the practice squad. Herb Miller sounds like a, a pitcher for the Indians in the 1930s, but nonetheless, Herb Miller gets onto the practice squad. They're continuing to look at corner depth. You knew this could happen eventually, right? Between Denzel, Greedy, and and Newsom that somebody was going to miss a game. I don't know how long this will be. Calf injuries can be sort of finicky in that nature. So we hope that Greg Newsom doesn't miss long because he has been playing stellar football. So we'll see how the injury list shakes out. Jed Wills not practicing. It's kind of been the pattern here. Treader not practicing. Those guys should play. But if they don't, you feel better about the fact that Chris Hubbard returned, which helps you kind of ice over what could be uh, a thing if Jed if Jed misses the game or something happens or he's off or whatever you know ankle dealing with an ankle injury you never know something could be off late in the week or could be off the day of the game it's nice to have Hubbard back to feel a little bit of security there we'll see if Hubbard does end up actually playing there could be any sort of inactive surprise you never know how that stuff's going to shake out it does also seem like Michael Dunn is trending toward being an active game day player which will help I like Blake Hans not a tackle in the NFL barely a guard. I would prefer to see Dunn and, and Hubbard be those guys who can step in and play. Miles Garrett obviously named AFC Defensive Player of the Week, as he should have been, because, uh, you know, it's a special four-and-a-half sack performance. So, you know, that's always great to see him get rewarded for a lot of hard work in that game because he did play hard. And things to, to note as we move forward, uh, good quotes from Grant Delpit. You should go listen to those about his comfortability in this defense, where he's at now, coming back from this injury. If you can find those quotes, a ton of great things to hear from him. Kevin Stefanski also talking about this visit back with Minnesota, what it means to him, and uh, trying to treat it like another game, but it's not. He spent too long there. He came up in that division uh, with with uh, with all sorts of responsibilities in Minnesota, where he learned who he wanted to be and what kind of offense he wanted. And Nick Olson will give us some great insights on those, uh, those things in just a minute. It's just a unique unique game in that sense because these two teams mirror each other so so much and uh, it's going to be a chess match it's going to be fun and it'll come down to whose dudes end up you know the big time names who steps up and makes plays when it matters because I would imagine both offense and defensive sides of the football will be pretty schemed up they know what each other is going to try to run so who's going to make a play when all the chips fall so we'll see you know other than 
Greg Newsom, no other major injury things to talk about. We'll get insights from Nick on the injury list coming up here in a second. If you want to follow Nick, he's at Nick Olson NFL. He writes for Viking Territory, Zone Coverage, Minnesota. He's great. It's good. In, it's a good interview. It's long, but it's a good interview, and you're really going to know everything there is to know about Minnesota. So let's get over to that interview right now with Nick Olson. Hope you guys enjoy it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcoming in Nick Olson. I think Nick does some of the best work on the Vikings. If you pay attention to his Twitter feed, it is uh, constant just uh, chatter and then film breakdowns and different things that I think kind of correlate to what I do with the Browns. Nick, how are you, man? I'm doing great. It is is Victory Wednesday in Vikings Twitter world. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, Victory Wednesday, but yeah, I'm doing good. It's good. I mean, you got to trust me. We understand. We're we're starting to get a little spoiled after going 11 and five, and now kind of off to a nice start. <laughs> but you take your wins where you can, man. You got to enjoy able sing every single one of these things, right? Oh, absolutely. They they uh, they never get old. They never get old. So listen, let's hit lead off. We're going to talk about the one and two start, and I think it's probably one of the best one and two teams in football right now, but there's a nugget that was dropped on another blue wire podcast called the rebuild. Okay. Matthew Collar comes on, talks about how uh, Kevin Stefanski was the next guy in Minnesota. And if after the 2019 wild card game where Minnesota goes into new Orleans and pulls that great upset, the Kyle Rudolph, I was Kyle Rudolph, right? Catches that touchdown in overtime. Um, yep, that's right. Yeah. If that doesn't happen and new Orleans blows out, which was the ex- expectation blows out Minnesota at home there was chatter, pretty confident chatter, that there was going to be some move with Mike Zimmer, whether that was trading him to Dallas or letting him go, and Kevin Stefanski was going to be the guy to step in. Is there merit to that? What I have heard and what has been reported is that there was there's definitely merit to that. The Vikings were extremely high on Kevin Stefanski. I think a lot of people really respected him in the building, and, and Zimmer is has a lot of respect as well and and people love him but there was it was kind of a crossroads where people were thinking if this doesn't go the right way maybe it's time to make a change and maybe it's time to you know not let this young wunderkind out, out the door maybe maybe this is the move the other thing is that i from what i've heard reported and from what i've heard from people who would be in the know is that the cowboys were actually very interested in bringing back mike zimmer and they were they were willing to trade um, some some assets for Mike Zimmer. So that was an interesting what if. Of course, it never came to fruition because the Vikings pull off this incredible upset, go into the Super Superdome against a thirteen and three team, um, pull together this crazy uh, this crazy game plan that involves Anderson Dejo, who who Browns fans probably don't remember too fondly, but he wound <laughs> up playing slot cornerback against Michael Thomas, and it was you know, it was like really effective. 
Um, you know, Ryan Ramchek, Daniil Hunter beat him for two sacks. So it was just a crazy defensive game plan. Um, and and they came away with with a major playoff win. And so, of course, after that, you know, they, they were willing to stick things out with Zimmer and, and let Kevin go uh, on to, to green pastures in Cleveland. But um, but yeah, it's, it's a very interesting what if, if things had gone differently. NFL landscape could look very different. It could look very different. The ultimate upside down is you saying that Sandejo was an effective player in the slot against Michael Thomas of all people. So <laughs> I know we were might have lost shocks. all credibility. Listen, you might you might have lost all credibility with Browns. Right, go back, go it. back and watch it. It's like we we were just as shocked that that worked. So. That's ironic, man. Small worlds, big circular thing, and it is this the the outcome here going into this game. Not the outcome, but the thought, and it's right. Is like this is a full circle sort of feeling, right? There seems to be a lot of parallel now. The Browns were trying to hire. Um, was it Dennison or who was it that the, the assistant GM there in Minnesota? Peyton. Peyton George yes, Peyton, George who's now Peyton in, in, in Denver. In Denver, yeah. There was like the Browns were trying to bring in Stefanski and Peyton simultaneously, and there was just all this pool from Minnesota. And yeah, I mean, as you would understand, it's like they got they started to see that this is an offense we can run. We like what they do. Their personnel kind of aligns two wide receivers that are effective. So it is a it is a like a big, huge welcome back for a lot of similar thought processes and uh, people who were intertwined in that that fate of the NFL that you were talking about just a minute ago. So it it should be a really yeah. fun game. And with that, and, I, you know, what's an interesting. I, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but just no. like one really interesting angle to it is the, how Kevin Stefanski came to be a wide zone guy as he. He wasn't raised in it. He was, no. you know, he came up under like Brad Childress, Andy Reid Tree. He came up under a lot of different coaches. And he always, you know, he knew Gary Kubiak from afar. And he always thought like, man, if I got a chance to run that offense, that seems like it could be something we could we could do some real damage with in the NFL. And he was, I think he was like quarterback's coach or offensive assistant on the Vikings back in, I want to say 2017, 2016 or something. Mm -hmm. And that's where he and Clint Kubiak overlapped as like offensive assistants or something, you know, low on the totem pole, but working their way up, both really impressing guys. And it was first Stefanski, uh, when he was promoted offensive coordinator, he called back his old pal Clint Kubiak and said, hey, we're thinking about, you know, doing more wide zone stuff. You, are you interested in coming aboard with with and bringing maybe on your dad as well? And we could like learn how to how to actually install this wide zone offense, this boot action stuff that I'm so interested in. And so now we're seeing not just, you know, back then they were like the young guys. And now, you know, it's a head coach. And now Clint Kubiak is the offensive coordinator for the Vikings. So it's a cool um, they were friends and close back then. And so it's 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 a cool reunion for them, too, as well. Yeah. And I always remember Harrison Smith tying it all together when. Stefanski's like, I think we got something here was when Harrison Smith came up to him and said, hey, man, this is this is brutal to, to defend. Like, we can't tell what you're doing. Right. <laughs> I always read that quote. And that's something that Kevin's even pointed back to since he'd been in Cleveland, that a defender as elite as Harrison could come up and say that a guy who studies the game as well as anybody. And that's when you know, like, OK, yeah, this is this is good. This is what we want to sign things. And, yeah, sign that things are certainly working when you can confuse him. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's good stuff. It should be a fun rematch. It could reunion of different sorts of concepts. So I'm excited. Yeah, the the evolution of what Cleveland's done based on what they thought they were going I thought they were going to do has been really interesting. Uh they they started in one direction and have figured out, "Oh, we have these really elite guards and we should probably do some different things." And uh it's fun <laughs> in that sense because there's what Kevin wants to be and what he what, you know, Bill Callahan is 
So I would imagine Bill Callahan has pulled him aside and they've talked through this. Like, this is what we should be doing as far as run game goes and how they've married all of that. And it'll be a fun watch. It'll be a fun watch on both sides. I think it'll be great for Minnesota fans to see some 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 different things, but some similar things. And likewise for Cleveland to get, you know, especially where they want to get offensively. I think Minnesota's gone on a really great path and they have been. And and uh, I'm sure they will continue to be. They're one and two, but it's not every man's one and two. I mean, you know, the Cincinnati game, just, I'll give you the, the, the table here to just kind of walk us through. What happened, just briefly synopsis the Cincinnati loss, the Arizona loss, and then what happened last week, if you can. Yeah, Cincinnati game was interesting. Um, they it was, it was a close game that really, it went to overtime, and it came down to the Vikings drove down into Cincinnati territory, and then Dalvin Cook had an unlucky fumble at the worst moment around the 40-yard line. And Cincinnati was able to drive down and, and kick the game-winning field goal. So um, it, it it was it was an interesting matchup. Jamar Chase went for over 100 yards. Um, Bashad Breland has kind of struggled a little bit at, at outside cornerback opposite Patrick Peterson. So um, some some out of the gate struggles. And then Cincinnati did a lot of interesting things where. Um, you know, we're seeing this more, and this gets back to the Bill Callahan conversation. The Vikings, like the Browns, um, have their their identity is still a wide zone, boot act, play action offense. Um, and so, but but now the kind of the the book is out on the fronts you want to run. You want to run bare fronts and six one fronts to to mug up the gaps and not allow teams to stretch the field and give your linebackers a clear shot at the at the running back and you know not allow any of those cutback lanes. So. Uh, you saw a lot of that from the Bengals, who kind of had the personnel and the horses to run those fronts, and so there wasn't they weren't able to get as much uh, going on the ground. Um, they were still able to to move the ball. Obviously, it came down to an overtime game, um, but yeah, they weren't able to pull that one away. And then next week, and since in uh, in Arizona, back to back road games to start the season. Um, you know, Kyler's making crazy plays. It was a bit of a shootout. Comes down to a, a game winning field goal, thirty seven yards, and and true Vikings tradition. Uh, you know, it, the, the the kick was was wide right, so uh, the 37 yarder was no good, and Arizona <laughs> walked away with a win. So yeah, I think it's right to say that they're probably a little bit better than the one and two record. I'm not saying they're an amazing team or anything because they've got they've got their struggles, especially on the defensive personnel and the secondary coming together. But um, but yeah, uh, a, a couple uh, tough 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 breaks at the end of the first two games, followed up by uh, a big win over the Seahawks. It's interesting. They're one and two, but they have like. I think the 11th best point differential, you know, they're obviously positive. I think they're plus nine in the point differential column. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting team. We're still trying to figure out if we're good or not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's on the right path. I think that they're, as far as, as far as being tied into point differential, things like that, that can always be a little misleading, but especially because Cleveland last year had a negative point differential and still made the playoffs and had a really solid record. So it can be it can be weird like that. I think Minnesota's right on the precipice of really turning a corner. They could easily be 3-0. and That's not deniable. So there's there's definitely a good football team in Minnesota, and that's what we're going to try to try to have a conversation around. So we'll start offensively. It, it revolves around Kirk Cousins. It has for a while now. It's... Listen, I, I I'm all I've got a Browns fan base here, and I don't want to make them mad because they want to continue to think that Baker's ceiling is infinitely higher. But I think that lost in the shuffle <laughs> of what Kirk, I think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback and always have, and I think you can get really good things from Kirk. Are you going to get masterpiece out of structure plays? No, I don't think that's going to happen. And uh, I do think that Baker has some better physical traits, but the mental aspect of the game is where Kirk stands out, and he is killing it right now he's just, I think he's a hair under a thousand yards eight touchdowns no interceptions so my question Nick is sort of built around 
you're getting the best version of a quarterback for this offense, in my opinion. And is that is that something that Minnesota, the people around the organization, and the people following the team are comfortable with? Because the alternative is letting a guy like that go and then fishing in a pond of mystery that is your next quarterback, and you can just you can really muck that up. You can really, really, really mess it up. So I'm just sort of curious where you guys are with Kirk, because I'm sure you haven't answered this question 75 million times, but like where you're at with him and and do you feel like you can win a Super Bowl with him? Yeah, it's such an interesting conversation. And it's interesting because I feel like the answer changes all the time, depending on, uh, you know, how Kirk's last game went. Uh, It's so interesting. Kirk does. He does so many things so well that are easy to take for granted. He's an exceptional, accurate thrower of the football. Uh, when he has a clean pocket and and things are in rhythm, he's exceptionally good at getting the ball out on on time. His footwork is pristine. Uh, he's able to manipulate safeties. He sees the field very well. He goes through his progressions very quickly. Um, it's kind of like if this were two decades ago, he would be thought of as like one of like the the prototype pocket passers. He does a lot of things really well. He doesn't necessarily. Um, he doesn't have a bad arm, but he doesn't have like the world's like biggest arm, especially at you know. Uh, the one thing Baker does, I think, really well is, is, is he's got a strong arm, but he doesn't always need a, a clean pocket to do it. Kirk's got a strong arm, but if you if you muddy the pocket, if you force him to change the arm angle, uh, or you, you're not allow him to follow through completely on his base, that's where you see the arm talent drop off a little bit. So Kirk's not he's not a flashy guy, but he does so many things so well. And w- when you see the efficiency on the field, I mean, right now he's playing just essentially mistake free football. Um, and he, he's still man- managing to like get the positives as well. So that's really impressive to see right now. I think the general tenor of the fan base is like, yeah, let's sign him up. Like we, we can totally live with this. Like we're fine. I don't care if it's another, you know, $45 million a year contract. Like this is, this is <laughs> Vikings fans have seen a lot of bad quarterbacks in their day. So they're willing to live with it. I think especially now, uh, part of, part of the analysis, I think as well as like, you know, this offseason, going through free agency, you see how a, how a quarterback um, earning that much money can hamstring you, can keep you from signing certain free agents, um, can can sort of be a lodestone around where, what, where your team wants to go long term, can make you feel like you're not building towards something necessarily and you're just sort of circling the drain. Um, but now, especially compared to all these teams drafting these these young, exciting first round quarterbacks, we see so many first round quarterbacks go early in the draft. Um, but now you're seeing so many of them struggle. You said Justin Fields get, you know, sacked, what is it, nine times with against against your Browns? So uh, you, you've seen Trey Lance sitting, Trevor Lawrence, um, as much as he was hyped as a prospect, he's really struggling out of the gate. So I think all those things, and even like Mac Jones, Mac Jones looks looks fine, but, you know, he's not lighting the world on fire the way that like even Baker did when he was a rookie or or Herbert did last year. So I, I, I think seeing the, the, the alternative right now to being like, if we were starting Justin Fields, where would we be? Um, yeah, it's a lot cheaper, but also I think we would be a significantly worse football team without Kirk Cousins. I think right now, if you ask the team or you ask, people in the front office or you ask the average fan they would say yeah let's sign me up for more of this but the question is always like and and this is the problem is like this is as good as it gets with kirk cousins is is this mistake free football with yeah an improved offensive line things look clean he's got some receivers to go to and he's making the most of them but thing with having a kirk cousins level quarterback is (laughs) in the back of your mind you're always worried about like okay when is he going to turn into a pumpkin when is this ride going to end he's had lots of hot streaks 
Um, but that's why, you know, that's why he didn't wind up getting re-upped in Washington. That's why he was a free agent. That's why he goes through these ups and downs in Minnesota where fans vacillate between we're in love with the guy and we want to build him a statue and let's get rid of the guy as soon as we can. So <laughs> check in with me. The long-winded way of saying check in with me in a few months and we'll see if this current streak continues. Because right now he's playing about as good a football as he ever has. But uh, that's always the worry with these kinds of quarterbacks is, is when when is he going to come back down to earth if he if he does. So uh <laughs> I guess we'll see. It sounds miserable, but awesome at the same time. Like, it re- I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's there. I like I said, I think Baker has some better traits. I, I think he can run better than Kirk can. I think he can, he can drive the football with more velocity, but I do think Kirk has produced better, obviously of late. I mean, Baker's window of time in the NFL and Kirk's and who he's been around are obviously vastly different because Kirk's had, you know, young Shanahan, young McVay and, worked his way into this system with Kubiak and, and all of that. So um, it, it just, I don't know that Baker's going in that direction. It seems to me like he is. Can he be a better version of Kirk? I don't know. Right now, the numbers don't bear that. And I don't think it's fair to say that. But can he be a better version of that? And I think a better version of that is pretty dang good still. Like, I still think if Kirk is playing well, and again, the streakiness of Kirk is kind of the streakiness of Baker, if those guys are playing well and the rest of your team collectively is playing well, I do think you could win Super Bowls with them. We watched Jimmy Garoppolo doing the same thing, and I think sure. they're both better than Jimmy Garoppolo be a throw, a post throw from a win in a Super Bowl. So it's doable, right? But your roster structure is a little more challenging. You can't make up for as many holes as you possibly could with Pat or uh, again, you know, the guys who are taking over modern football that are doing it uniquely, I think the Herberts are kind of creeping into that. Justin Herbert's creeping into that range too. So, um, just something to monitor. I said, a fun question on my end, maybe not so fun for you to answer as often as you have to, but, um, the parallels there are interesting. So moving to running back, Dalvin Cook was out last week. Uh, kind of, I mean, I, I respect Alexander Madison like crazy, but Dalvin is unique. He's, he's in the, he's in the Nick, mm-hmm. Nick Chubb, D- Derrick Henry threshold of guys. Like there's no doubt. And just mm-hmm. sort of wondering how healthy he is, whether you think he's going to play and then sort of assessing where they're at at running back. He seems confident. He had a presser today where he seems confident that he will play. Um, but it's it's one of those things where you can't can't say too confidently just yet that it'll be Dalvin Cook. I think he was uh, he was a limited participant in practice today. So keep monitoring that. It does sound like if on his current trajectory, he expects to play. Um, but you know, take a one practice at a time. And right now it's hard to say confidently one way or not. That said gun to my head. If I had to guess, I would say he's full go on Sunday. Good deal. Is, is, is a full go. Well, I mean, he's, is he, we'll see if he's a hundred percent, but is Madison that much of a drop off? Like, you know, what up running backs don't matter. Like, is that, do you guys like him that much? Uh, Madison's a talented back and there's a reason they were willing to spend a third rounder on him at the same time. Dalvin does they're different styles of quarterbacks or running backs. Dalvin is a better running back. He's uh, he's more explosive, especially in the open field. He'll take those like 10 yarders and turn them into 20 yarders and he'll take the 20 yarders and turn them into 40 yarders. So uh, he's got more breakaway speed. Uh, he's a little bit better in, in his vision and his footwork and setting up blocks. I think Madison's improved a lot in that area. Um, but I, I think Dalvin's just one of the best at, at, at making his offensive line look better than they are, setting up his blocks really well, uh, pressing up one hole until the linebacker's in the wrong one and then then bursting out of the other hole. Um, it's, he's, he's such a good fit with this wide zone scheme. So um, he does he does a lot of those things. Well, Madison's, you know, Madison's got a little more uh, like truck power. 
Um, Madison loves to hurl guys. If you <laughs> if you see him in the game, he he'll, he'll love to like bait guys into going low and then jump over them. So um, if you see Madison, don't be surprised when he's when you see that. Uh, but different styles of running backs. I think Madison's a really good back too. You saw him go for almost 200 all-purpose yards last week. So um, the offense didn't necessarily skip a beat. That said. Uh, I do think there's there's a difference between like anytime you got like just an elite level back like like Dalvin or Nick Chubb. Anytime someone like that goes down, you're going to see uh, whoever is filling their shoes is going to have a tough time measuring up. So um, Dalvin's definitely somebody you got to keep an eye on because when he's healthy, the offense runs through him. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, similar. It's just funny because Kareem. Kareem Hunt will do a lot of the vertical jump over people stuff too. There, it's it's again parallel and two really good running backs, man. Like it's just wild yeah. like that. I'll ask two. I know the brand. These two have structured offense very similarly. The big difference was they both hate eleven personnel. They're one of the lowest in the league at eleven <laughs> personnel. The, the Titans joined them last year too, but they were more twenty-one personnel in Minnesota. Are they still using CJ Ham a ton. Yeah, they love CJ Ham. He's a big focal point of their offense and. A lot of the the fun, unique things they do in their run design uh, are centered around what C.J. Ham can do. They like bringing guys into the backfield, and they like to set it up. And it's it's sort of how they 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 add their own unique creative flavor of of the wide zone game is how they insert the back uh, the the fullback into the into the design. Um, whether they'll run wind back with him or whether they'll they'll sort of move him out into space or or you know who he'll end up blocking so he's a big part of their their run game i will say this year they've had the emergence of this this guy uh a 2020 draft pick kj osborne who um i barely made the team last year and looked uh i don't know like he was just not gonna do much and all of a sudden this year uh he spent the offseason training with jefferson and i think odell beckham as well and it, it kind of shows because now he's he looks like a legitimately good wide receiver three. So you're seeing actually a lot more 11 personnel from the Vikings this year. Part of that has to do with Irv Smith Jr., the tight end they were very excited about out of Alabama, just 22 years old. So they were expecting big things from him this year, but he uh, he's out for the year, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so th- th- there's limited tight end depth. Um, so less... Uh, less 12 personnel, um, but there, you're still seeing a heavy sprinkling of CJ Ham, but you're also seeing some some 11 personnel. You're even seeing some 10 personnel because they also oh, really? signed D.D. Westbrook, and they like to get him out there too. So, yeah, it's it's a weird offense. This Clint Kubiak style of offense, uh, the personnel groupings are, I mean, they still like to be heavy, and they'll still, you know, you'll they'll, they'll still see 13 personnel. They traded a fourth rounder for um, for Chris Herndon from the Jets earlier, so they, they still want to be multiple. They still want to get heavy personnel in there. But they're also not afraid, especially on third downs, to spread you out to go four wide or to go three by one and have it be four wide receivers um, or line up, you know, Amir Abdullah, who's their sort of scat back that they like and line him up out wide and have him run receiver routes as well. So they do a, they throw a lot of weird stuff at you, probably similar stuff to, to what you're familiar with Kevin Stefanski, because it was the same stuff in 2019. Yeah, other than the 10 personnel, everything else he said there, I could pull out your <laughs> names and I could insert Cleveland names, and it's the same stuff. Dimitri yeah. Felton is the jack-of-all-trades hybrid guy like Amir Abdul. It's the same thing, man. It's it's crazy. So when they do go two tight ends, they, I've seen some clips, I think, from our good friend Brandon Thorne, studies, uh, studies blocking game in the NFL as good as anybody. Tyler Conklin playing pretty well, too. Yeah, it was interesting. I was not as high as as, as 
on him as as a lot of fans going into the season. He kind of struck me as just a guy, but the part of the reason was I, I sort of just thought uh, saw him as a as a pure move tight end who wasn't good enough as a receiver to like stand out. But now he really seems to be taking on duties in line. Uh, he's playing with better leverage. His his punch is a lot better. He's able so he's basically able to take on defensive ends for you know in a pinch. Um, and you know when you can do that, you can also crack on linebackers. So when when you can line up as a true Y and have that versatility, it makes the offense a lot better. And it's 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 a disappointment we're not able to see him along with Irv Smith Jr. because I do think Tyler Conklin's off to a, a, a good um, a good year. And you know when you combine that that ability to block with the with the fact that you know he's a he's a good receiver as well. He's not you know like most um, you know in line tight ends. He's he's not going to you know burn down the seam or something with his speed or something. Um, but he's got enough athletic ability to, to, to run with guys downfield. Or um, you, you saw a few times this year, you'll see him sort of on a crossing route. And he has he has the ability to establish leverage. And he has the ability to, to win at the catch point. He's got a big frame like a lot of tight ends. And when you can sort of establish leverage, um, even if you're not going to like break away necessarily, that's going to be enough. Uh, with a big catch radius, and then he's he's got some yak ability as well. Um, so they like to get him the ball as well. So don't be surprised if you see a heavy heavy sprinkling of Tyler Conklin in there as well. Yeah, I really liked him coming out of coming out of college. I uh, thought he was going to be a player. And let, let's yeah. shift wide receiver. You've oh, go ahead. Did you have one one add there? Did I miss that? No, go for it. All right, yeah. I mean, no, you go know, for it. Talk talk about the dudes at wide receiver. I mean, are Thielen Jefferson playing as well as they ever have? I mean, you mentioned KJ and Didi, but the focal point is. 18 and 19, right? Yeah, definitely. Justin Jefferson, they treated him, coming out of camp, they treated him like he was their best player on, on the entire team. Um, I mean, Daniil Hunter is up there as well. But, like, they, he, there was, like, when he sprained his AC joint, it was like they almost canceled practice. Like, there was a, a, just a hush went over the crowd. And <laughs> at, from that point on, they basically treated all the veterans. They wrapped them in bubble wrap. So, <laughs> uh, Jefferson, actually, he came off to a little bit of a slow start. Um uh, he's he's dropped a couple passes here and there, which is um, just a little. I don't think it's a long term problem with him or anything, but I don't know. Sometimes sometimes elite receivers go through weird spells where they'll. I remember Diggs did the same thing where Diggs had some of the best hands I'd ever seen on a receiver I've seen play for the Vikings, and then he just he had one year where he had like ten drops or something. It's like this is not. I don't know where this is coming from. So Jefferson's dropped a couple passes, um, but then this last week, man, he really came on strong. He had like ten targets and he brought in like eight of them for over a hundred yards. He's putting on another route running clinic. He's such a unique route runner where um somebody i saw one espn had this funny insider article set where somebody described justin jefferson as Eurostep gumby which i thought was the funniest <laughs> funniest great. like scouting scout because he, he has this weird sort of herky-jerky rocker step yeah. euro step uh that he loves to get open with at the top of routes and it works for him but he's also the gumby's great too because he's sort of long-limbed framed um he kind of has this like sliding back and forth motion to his to his routes but i don't know it works really well for him he gets he gets separation he had some really great routes last week against the seahawks that got him wide open on on a whip route or on a curl route where the the defensive back was uh respecting him a little too much vertically and so he just stopped on a dime and the guy just flew past him almost fell over so um his he's he's a really talented player and they know it and then adam thielen doesn't necessarily have the same, um, you know, he's not going to buy an acre of space necessarily with his route running, although he's a very talented route runner. Um, but he's he's just, he does so many of the little things so well 
Um, you know, you, you look back at like the way he fights with his hands on vertical routes downfield to create separation at the catch point, his late hands, uh, the, the way he'll sort of establish leverage and then use that to, to set up two-way goes in his route stems, which is a very talented. He's got some of the best. They're both very good at the releases, but Adam Thielen, I think, is just one of the, one of the better releases in the NFL. So they're both very talented players. Um, so that they're, they're a focal point is, is, you know, a lot of teams think about Delvin cook, but I think Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, they're, they're very confident in, the, in those top two wide receivers. And then it's, uh, you know, I mentioned a little bit, but it's, it's nice to see KJ Osborne coming along strong as well to give them a third option. He's been kind of, especially on third downs, he's been a little bit of Mr. Third down, you know, a guy who can, if the team is for, worrying so much about Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne up against, you know, their number three corner can usually come down with a big reception as well. So um, they, they're, they're, it's, the offense has come out very strong, um, and those three guys are a big reason why. Yeah, J- Justin Jefferson, the rare one-for-one trade there that works with Diggs so well. Um, so unique in that sense. So good stuff there. You're talking O-line. I know that I think Zimmer, I, I read a quote, Zim thought they played their best football of the year last week. And you're talking investment, man, like – Similar to Cleveland, like real tangible investment. Brian O'Neill, they picked 18th, uh, 2018 second round. They've already extended him. You got Garrett Bradbury was their first round pick in 19. Ezra Cleveland was a 2020 second round pick. Wyatt Davis was a third. I know he's not, he may be not starting right now, but he was a third round pick mm-hmm. in 21. Darisol this year, you know, was the first round pick. And I don't know, I think Rashad Hill, you correct me if I'm wrong, is still starting there. Talk talk about the O-line. They, they've clearly invested in it. And it's early on here paying pretty clear dividends. Yeah, it's interesting. I think they have invested the second most draft capital over the last four years into the offensive line. And for the longest time, you know, this has been a bugaboo with Vikings fans is just that the offensive line has been so bad for so long. And and we're finally starting to see some dividends being paid this year. Um, The offensive line, I don't want to say it's good or anything. I think Rashad Hill is still a major liability at left tackle. Um, But, you know, we'll see if Christian Derrissaw, interestingly, he was a full full participant today um, for the first time uh, in in, in practice all year. So he's been coming along pretty slowly. They've been stringing him along. He's had this this nagging groin injury um, that sort of he had surgery in January, actually. And it just was re-aggravated and has been bugging him for a while. So he's finally a full participant. There's there's a possibility. There's a real possibility that Christian Derrissaw's first start comes on Sunday. So that'll be interesting to monitor. Uh, as far as the rest of the guys, you know, they're so athletic. Um, Ezra, uh, Ezra Cleveland was originally a left tackle at Boise State, moves extremely well. He's in his second year. He's still pretty raw. As, as a converted tackle, you might expect, you know, sometimes his, his pass sets aren't great or or sometimes he'll um, he, he's a little too overeager with his punches. And, you know, he's not um, he's still developing an anchor, I think, to, to stand up against those those really stout defensive tackles. You know, so bull rushes can it's actually a theme across the entire offensive line can get them into trouble. But um, really talented player. And especially you'll see it on screens. Garrett Bradbury is the same same sort of same sort of, um, you know, he just has. Bradbury can struggle one-on-one when up against like a big nose guard, but Bradbury makes some of the most impressive blocks on the team downfield on screens. He's just so good in the screen game and he's so, 
he has such incredible athleticism on reach blocks and stuff. You know, when he'll 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 like block a three, te- he'll like reach a three technique, and it's just like jaw dropping stuff to see from a center in the NFL against like an NFL three tech. Um, so kind of an up and down player, but like man, the highs are really highs. But at the, at the same time, like he'll also get like walked back into the pocket for a sack pretty frequently. So um, the highs and lows with Bradbury. Oli Udo is is a really interesting. He was a sixth round pick, twenty nineteen out of Elon. A really developmental guy um, that they really liked, and he's finally starting. And that was like the big thing is like, who is this Ole Udo guy? I thought it was going to be Wyatt Davis starting at right guard. Um, what's happening here? But he's he's looked really good. He's like he doesn't look like your typical guard because he's massive. He looks like a, like a Trent Brown type <laughs> tackle, like mm-hmm. just a huge dude. Um, and you wouldn't think it would work because his punch is very wide and his pads are are still pretty high. But I don't know. He makes it work. He's so strong and he's so athletic that like I don't I don't know. He's he's able to move guys. And when they do more like power stuff or when they do more duo stuff, when he's doing more drive blocks, um, the difference in power between him and like Bradbury or Cleveland is pretty evident. And then Brian O'Neill, um, not to belabor the point, but he's he's a he's a talented guy. They they paid him top money. Um, he's playing really well. He's the only tackle, I think, for pro football focus who hasn't given up a single pressure so far this year. Mm. So that's been impressive to see. I don't, I don't think he's actually played as well as that stat would suggest, but he's he's a very solid tackle. He's a very good player. He's very athletic as well. Um, so and he's kind of like the 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 uh, he's the star player of this offensive line. So altogether, you know, they've invested a lot into it. They're still young players. A lot of them are still learning. But we're starting to see pieces of, of, of the vision of where this could go long term. So it's, it's certainly not, you know, a Bill Callahan. It's certainly not the Browns, what the Browns have right now. But for it to sim- simply be um, not suck and be mediocre, possibly even average is like it's really exciting stuff for, your, for a lot of us Vikings fans. So. Yeah. And, and they invested the right way. I mean, you, you have to put your, your, your effort and energy into it or it's just not going to rectify itself. So kudos to them for that. And, you know, Ezra Cleveland was a guy that the Browns were really kind of floating toward when uh the the 20 draft happened they took jed wills but that was a guy connected to cleveland too and um yeah there's again there's just many names that pop up on these two rosters that that cross over and how those guys that'll be a fascinating matchup if o'neill gets you know if he gets miles and Clowney, and they move those guys everywhere you know that's the thing about the browns defensive line right now is you know malik mcdowell comes out of nowhere pops back onto the nfl scene is playing great football malik jackson and, and that's how, like, we were worried because we're going to talk about Sheldon Richardson here in a little bit. Like, they let Sheldon Richardson go and they let Larry Ogunjobi go. And it's like, how are they going to get this D-line right? Well, then all of a sudden Malik McDowell comes on the scene and he's taken off and him and Malik Jackson and they rotate Clowney and Miles inside and Tack McKinley outside. And that is going to be a really fun matchup because if you are going to stop Kirk Cousins, you better not let him know exactly what you're going to do in coverage so the ball doesn't get out quick and you better get pressure. That's, that's the answer. So... Just like Baker, too. I mean, yeah. God, it's no secret. It's most quarterbacks in the NFL. You better make them <laughs> double-clutch the football a little bit. But that's what that's what's uh, going to win or lose the, the the point battle on that side. Let's switch to defense. It's it's uh, some familiar names. Everson Griffin's back. But, you know, it's led by Daniil Hunter up front. Michael Pierce is back. I think he was on the COVID list last year, right? He, he sat out, I believe. That's right. He opted out last year. So, yeah, Dalvin Tomlinson with Michael Pierce and Sheldon Richardson's rotating in. And then I don't know if Everson's starting or, or Weatherly has kind of gotten the the uh, right side DN snaps, but yeah, this is an interesting group that is many familiar names. Uh, we'll, we'll go one by one D line to linebacker to, to, to secondary, but yeah, hit, hit, what's going on with the D line. I think they're getting some pretty good pressure and Daniel Hunter's playing contract contract uh, type money, right? He's, he's got to make a move this year. 
Yeah, definitely. It was an interesting offseason drama with Daniil Hunter. He was like holding out for a little bit, but then he ended up getting his contract uh, worked out, resolved. Uh, he'll, but he will be up for an uh, early extension. I think he'll still have two years left, um, but he'll be up or they'll probably give him an extension if he continues playing the way he is right now. Um, he's uh, he's the best player on the defense. He's 26 years old. He missed all of last year with a, a herniated disc in his neck, but he looks back and back and in his prime. Uh, just a really special play. You know, I, I don't want to compare anybody to Miles Garrett, but just that that level of just a unique combination of athleticism and length and like the body of a Greek god, like with the with the technical prowess to to put it to to to, to use against uh, offensive linemen. Just a just a freakishly talented player, and he's he started out uh, he was he, he was he was ramping up a little bit in the first couple of games, but man, against Kyler, he had three sacks, um, and then he had like eight pressures last week, um, despite the fact that Russ was getting the ball out really quick, uh, the Seahawks were. So, um, yeah, Hunter is kind of the star of the show, a really talented player against stout against the run. And when he gets to pin his ears back, just a monster when he gets to, you know, put that athleticism on display. So, um, but also like technically like really proficient too. Like he's not just a speed rusher. He'll, he'll dip inside. He'll rip. He loves to set up counters. He's, he's really like a natural, um, counter. Uh, he's, he's really able to like naturally build up, uh, his pass rush repertoire now, like before coming out, out of LSU, he had no idea what he was doing. So to see him now is like a like a technician is, is exciting to watch. Um, opposite him, you've got DJ Wanham, who's a developmental guy. Um, was a what fourth round pick, I think, a couple years last year. Um, got a lot of snaps as a rookie, but really developmental guy. Um, kind of in the mold of the Vikings like to find these these guys with length and some athleticism who they can develop in the Daniil Hunter mold. But, you know, it's a lot of guys who like Stephen Weatherly was the same way, um, who who's now back with the, with the team, you know, who who have the length of who they can put to use if they think they can coach them up. Um, Wanham has struggled. I think he gets washed out in the run game and he's he's. He's uh, has has trouble holding up at the point of attack, trouble sustaining blocks or coming off blocks quick enough. Um, he's got some juice as a pass rusher and he's you can tell he's starting to learn how to how to put his length to use, how to put his burst to use. So um, he's an interesting player, but he's probably one of the more of the weak links um, between those two. You got Michael Pierce, who's one of the stronger dudes in the NFL, just, a, you know, 340 pounds he's listed. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's he's bigger. He's like kind of like the traditional true like Vince Wilfork, zero tech nose guard. So um, really fun to see him. They run a lot of tight front now these days, um, especially against uh, wide zone teams like the Browns kind of are. Um, yeah, and I know they're shifting to more power these days. But, um, yeah, he's kind of uh, he's a he's a really stout run defender. He just does not get moved very much, even against double teams. Um, but he's also really quick. Um, he he's actually had a few sacks in these first few weeks, which has been surprising to see from your you no know, like 350 pound uh, nose guard. But he's got some juice, uh, and it's not just like bull rushes too. Like he'll he'll like you know give a give a, a stutter step and then rip inside, or he swum a dude for a sack in in week two or something, which is you don't always see that from uh, from the big guys. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson they signed from the New York Giants. Uh, he's another one of those big dudes. Um, Kind of more of a nose guard, but they're lining him up more as a four eye when they're doing their bare fronts or as a three technique when they're doing their more four three under um, that they like to do. So uh, he's not as much of a penetrator the way Sheldon Richardson is when he rotates in. He's more of just a hold the gap, slow things down, allow the linebackers to come to the ball if it's a if it's a run play or, or press the pocket if it's play action. Um so he, he's a good player, uh, not nothing flashy, but, you know, sound fundamental guy uh, doesn't make many mistakes and and bring some juice. Um, 
you you're obviously familiar with Sheldon Richardson, who um, he gets pressure. You know, he's he's so good looping as as a as a pass rusher on stunts. Um, and he plays with high motor, high effort. So, I mean, you guys are familiar with him. And Everson Griffin is the other guy probably worth mentioning. Just, um, you know, he's 34 years old now. So uh, twilight of his career. But, man, he's still got some pass rush juice. He's still got a fantastic spin move. Um, really good speed to power. Can still win. He's still got enough burst to win to the outside, too. So uh, they bring in a lot of different ways in the, pa- in the pass rush and the defensive line. So especially compared to how... Uh, depleted they were last year. Um, you know, the Vikings lost to Neil Hunter. They Michael Pierce opted out. Uh, Everson Griffin walked away. So And they had a lot of these young developmental guys. So it's a completely new look this year. Uh, so it's been fun to watch, especially, you know, compared to uh, how, how much they struggled last year. It's an interesting group, one that is going <laughs> to – I mean, I think the Browns are pretty solid up front. We all know that. But they – and the Bears are – it's it's so interesting because the Bears are gifted up front as well, so the, it was like a battle of titans. But but Jed Wills is obviously dealing with a pretty bum ankle at left tackle, and mm-hmm. J.C. Treader's kind of fighting the the veteran week by week deal, and he got a pretty nasty knee hit. So we'll see how healthy they are because they have to protect Baker. Gave up five sacks last week, and um, most of those were not the variety where the quarterback was holding on to the ball too long. So that will swing the game one way or the other. Linebacker familiar names: Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr. And then uh, Nick Vigil, former AFC AFC North, former Bengal, playing pretty well, I would imagine, or at least glimpses I've saw. So how, how's the linebacker room looking? Yeah, it's interesting. Kendricks is still uh, a really good player. Uh, he's uh, he's a fantastic coverage linebacker who's got a great nose for the ball, flies around the field, makes a lot of plays. Uh, he's he's very good in coverage, whether that's you know like roboting off play action and finding carrying guys vertically. He, you know, you've seen them, you've seen him do that against some pretty good wide receivers down the field. But he's also just he's got a good nose for the ball. He's he's very smart. He knows where the where the quarterback likes to go with the ball. So he's great in coverage. Uh, he's a little undersized, so um, he's he's more of like their off ball guy. Anthony Barr, if he's healthy, he he's actually missed the first three games of the year um, with a lingering knee issue. Um, but um, he's and he was limited today. But they keep hinting that he'll he's really soon. Obviously, they didn't put him on IR, so they weren't expecting him to miss three games. Um, but it's sort of like a, a chronic issue. It's actually kept him out of most of uh, training camp as well. So. Um, but at the same time, like it, he was a full go in, in minicamp or something. So, uh, don't have a lot of clarity into when he'll be back, but obviously he changes things because, um, you know, he's, he's a true, like Sam, like hybrid, almost defensive end type player. And especially when they run more of the tight front stuff they're doing, um, you know, he's, you know, a true, like, like, you know, uh, hybrid edge defender type guy because he's 6'5", 255 pounds, but still like a, and it, you know, he's a top 10 pick and he has the athleticism to go with not just the frame, but like, you know, a 4'6", 40, and he ran even faster at his pro day and stuff. So phenomenal athlete, really smart player, um, good tackler. Uh, he's a bit, when he's on the field, he allows Zimmer to do a lot of fun things in the blitz designs and the blitz schemes. Um, you probably don't want to block him with your running back because he's too good with that. He's not necessarily going to threaten, you know, a, a good left tackle or anything. Um, but he's got the size and length to do a lot of things and not just be uh, – he, he brings a lot of schematic value, I think, to the team. Where's the green dot, too, when he's healthy? Nick Vigil, uh, a fun player to watch. He's He flies through the ball. Uh, he gives a lot of high-effort plays. He is also – uh, his run fits have been giving me fits. <laughs> He's kind of frustrating to watch. He'll get out of his gap and give up explosives on the ground. Um, and he's uh, he's a little um, has trouble coming off blocks or making plays in the run game as well. 
um, sometimes gets out of gets out of his spot in coverage or isn't able to find where the quarterback wants to go with the ball when he has to drop back. Um, so there are issues with him, and there's a reason that uh, obviously Anthony Barr would be starting over him if he's full go. So um, yeah, linebacker core I think is is really talented when they're firing on all cylinders and they're fully healthy. But that's obviously a question heading into Sunday. They'll be challenged because Cleveland leads the league in 13 personnel, and I, they'll never stop. I, I don't care if Stefanski <laughs> has f- five Odell Beckhams. He's just as addicted to tight end play, man. They love it. So I do imagine you'll see quite a bit of base recommendations coming down from the headset because they'll be trying to match, and they'll mix in 12 personnel too. Browns do run some 11. They're still about that 40% number uh, through three weeks, but they, they prefer to get those big fellows on the field and block and get those two running backs moving downhill. And uh, which probably sounds familiar to you. But anyway, let's talk about the secondary. I would imagine you would say this is the weaker part of the group collectively. And, you know, you still have guys, I guess the weaker part looking forward as you kind of project out where the Vikings are going. Uh, It's it's I'll let you take it. Go wherever you want to go with it. Tell me how they're doing and and sort of where because like I as I look at things, I would imagine this is where you're probably going to see a lot of investment in in the upcoming drafts. Yeah, and I think that's right. It's 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 so tough. They drafted Jeff Gladney last year, uh, along with Justin Jefferson in the first round, and then he was he was you know dumb and domestic abuse, and they got cut. So, um, and that on top of Mike Hughes, who they drafted, what was that, 2018 or something draft, um, just succumbed to injuries and was was never able to get available. So when you invest two first round picks and they're both off the team. Uh, you, you struggle a little bit. So that's definitely the weak spot of this roster. They were they were able to sign Patrick Peterson, who's having a bit of a bounce back year. I think he's played really well. Um, but, you know, coverage is a, is a weak link thing. You know, you'd only take some. We saw this last year with the Browns. You know, you know, they they were so good um, between, uh, you know, they, they had lots of good corners, but then it only took like one buster screen to like to, you know, whether it's Jalen Johnson um, and whoever else, like it only takes like one bad cornerback to to, to spoil the whole bunch. And that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit. Bashad Breland has struggled a lot. He's lets guys run past him. He's never been the fastest cornerback. So he has, he has trouble keeping up on, on deep verticals, whether that's a fade or has to carry guy, uh, you know, up the field on a go route or something struggles there. Um, he's been a little bit late to react on other routes. Um, so uh, he's given up penalties, kind of struggled <laughs> in in all areas. I think he's pro football focus's lowest graded cornerback, which I don't necessarily love their cornerback grades very much. But when you're that bad, something's clearly going very bad. So, um, yeah, he struggled a lot. Mackenzie Alexander uh, is their nickelback. Um, if you see a lot of 12, 13 personnel or 21, maybe won't see as much of him as you might expect with other teams. But he's a good cornerback when he can like, man up and he knows his assignment but the problem is he's prone to to mental errors so um when you see busted coverages he's he's often a culprit so um he's a good player uh just a matter of making sure he knows what he's doing um safety's on the back end harrison smith is getting a little long in the tooth um you're not he's no longer i think uh a, a prime athlete but he's still a very good player um maybe one example is good is uh last or two week two against the cardinals Cardinals went five wide, went empty, ran a QB draw, and they were running like cover four or something in the end zone. So Harrison Smith should have been able to come down and make the angle. And granted, it's Kyler Murray. He's, you know, a destroyer of angles with how quick he is. But like Harrison Smith just had no chance. And so, you know, we're, we're no longer seeing, I think he's what, 31 now. He's no longer in the prime of his career, but he's still an exceptionally smart player. He's still making good plays. Uh, I think he knows his limitations. Um, and then sort of on the back end when they play more, they, they mix up their coverage shells a lot. So it's, you know, whether it's when 
Smith is the box safety. He's you think of him more as the box safety. Xavier Woods is sort of the the the, the free safety above. Um, good player, very aggressive. Uh, that works in his favor and out of his favor because uh, when he makes mistakes, there they can be bad mistakes. Um, he can be late to fit the run a little bit um, or or come downhill. Um, he's not necessarily a. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. He's sort of just a guy, I, I guess. Uh, he's. Um, I get that. He hasn't, can't he hasn't all be ma- dudes, right? had any huge. <laughs> Exactly. And that's kind of how it's always been. It's Harrison Smith and, and a guy. So uh, that, that tradition continues. He's uh, he'll lay the wood. He'll have some good big plays if he's able to, you know, when his aggression is, is the right decision, he'll make some plays. But when his aggression is not the right decision, then, you know, your, your free safety is, is giving up a coverage bust for a touchdown or something. So, um, yeah, the, there's there's a lot of holes in the secondary. Uh, if I were game planning for him, I think that would be the play, the, 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 the group I would circle in, in red ink to, to go after. It'd be interesting to see if the Browns do uptick, right, to try to take advantage of that because I think the, the base defense is a pretty strong group, especially if Barr is back playing. It's a pretty strong group collectively for Minnesota. So that is a game plan adjustment we could see. Also to tie in another Brown, Greg Joseph is place kicking. So oh, there yeah. you go. <laughs> former former Brown, so it all works in, in tandem. This is going to be a weird week, Nick. Both teams know this offense because the the offenses obviously run it, and the defenses play against it all camp. Like it's just going to be a chess match, and it's going to be a look back at the end of the game and say, "Look at this little wrinkle they threw at each other." And I imagine there's some bantering going on, and Sheldon wants to beat Cleveland and all that <laughs> stuff, man. Like it's uh, the coaches all know each other and. It'll be fun. It should be a fun game above all else, and hopefully both teams come out of it healthy and can still make a good push forward. And And uh, Minnesota knows they need to win this game. It's vital for them. And Cleveland knows that they go out to L.A. to face the Chargers, come home for the Cardinals and Broncos, so they got a tough schedule Oof. creeping up on them, man. So they know they got to win every game that they can possibly win. So it should be a good battle. Nick, your insights here have been spectacular. I know the audience of this podcast will really appreciate them, man. We thank you so, so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Jake. It's been a pleasure coming on. Uh, it's been so exciting watching the Browns have the success they've had, especially with sort of the Minnesota's homegrown boy. So uh, really, really exciting. Love seeing them um, have the success they have. Hopefully they can keep it going forward every week except for this week. <laughs> That's right. Both sides are saying that. Get all the best except for this week. So thanks again, Nick. <laughs> Amen. And my pleasure. Thanks again to Nick Olson for coming on the show, taking his time. That was a long interview, but I think you got a lot out of it. Hopefully you did. Reminder, the past two days of Twitch episodes, we had a Baker film room two days ago. That's for you to view on Twitch still if you want to go back and view it. And we had both John Stephenson for defense and Kyle Murphy for O-line, and they were really, really good interviews. So if you can go back and find those on Twitch, I urge you to do so because you can learn a lot about the Browns' Week 2 performances. I had all 22 defense notes that went up yesterday. I'll have the all 22 offense notes up today. Get all the insights, all the data, all the all the clips you need to understand how the Browns' offense played. And uh, I think it's great. I think it's really good because it gives you insight on everything you need. And that's for OBR website subscribers only. So if you're not a website subscriber, I would urge you to do so. Also posted a uh, OBR with our Browns film breakdown old hats, vintage hats from three years ago when we started. Never did get around to giving those away. We are going to give those away. Uh, I entered uh, or put out a, a poll on my feed. Not, not a poll, but a, a requirement for how you enter to win one of the 10 hats. So you can do so over the coming days. We'll start giving those away next week. Should be good. Also, make sure you check out the OBR Weekly on Thursday Twitch, and we'll have the roundtable Friday. So those are your upcoming Twitch 
uh, viewing opportunities. I appreciate your support as usual. Thanks for joining today's show and uh, for all your support. We'll have John Colosimo tomorrow for our usual Fridays with John Colosimo episode. And then we'll have our prospect show we always have with Stephen Thomas breaking down his latest mock on Saturday. Thanks for joining us, guys. Have a great, great Thursday and go Browns. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com